in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Two brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, John Flack and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Hello and welcome to the Retro Movie Roundtable. I am your host, Russell Guest, and I've got some sad news. Unfortunately, on short notice, John Flack, my usual good friend and co-host, will not be joining me today. But I'm still excited because I'm not alone. With me is a great guest today, my good friend and special guest, my co-pilot for today, Mr. Brian Fry. Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing well and frequently confused with John when it comes to our last name. So uh, frick and frack are uh, common issues with us. Yes, yes. This is, uh, this is John and Fry go way back. I met them both at the same time. And it's not just me. It seems like everybody seems to get them mixed up and just say, hey, Flack or Fry. I mean, it's the other one. So, um, you know, I have even blended both names at once and said fly uh, on more than one occasion. So that I like that. That's that. Is that our Brangelina name? Yeah, it, it collectively addresses you both at once. So got it. Got yeah. it. So it's even funnier since we look nothing alike. Yeah. So welcome to the Veterans Day episode uh, in, you know, in case you're not from America uh, and you're listening to the show, Veterans Day is where. Um, the United States, uh, we honor those who have served in the armed forces. And so they're very important people who keep us safe and we really appreciate them. So we dedicate this episode to the, uh, all the veterans out there. Thank you so much. Um, Brian, do you know any veterans yourself? Uh, absolutely. Uh, my uncle, uh, who passed away recently was a Colonel in the U S army. Um, got to go to his service. He was interred in Arlington. Uh, that was an experience, and uh, I just want to echo what you already said and say thank you to all of our servicemen and women, first responders, everything. Thank you. For those at home who haven't actually gotten to know you yet, what kind of movies do you like? Uh, I like it all. Um, even even genres that I probably don't uh, lean toward at times, I'm still able to be surprised by. Uh, I've been to see a couple straight up romance movies where I was like, man, I'm scared. I actually kind of like that one a little bit. So, uh, I'll, I'll watch just about anything, but I would say my preferences turn, um, turn more toward your nerdy cult classic. I'll go superhero, sci-fi action, all of the above. Brian, I'm about to ask you some hard hitting, deeply personal questions. Are you prepared for this? Oh, absolutely. I've already voted. (laughs) <laughs> what movie uh, we just came off of halloween uh so what movie related costumes have you ever worn like which were some of your best ones in my heyday of halloween which was probably college to about five years ago uh, my wife jessica and i have always sought to do um couples related costumes and we cranked out some really good ones uh, some years, but I would say my all-time favorite is when we went as Star-Lord and Gamora. 
Um, obviously this is a podcast, so I can't show you pictures, but we really rocked it out. I actually had to go to like four thrift shops to find a cassette player for the costume. I now own a really awesome leather jacket from Goodwill that is bright red. Well, not bright red, but that kind of burgundy red. And uh, that one was by far the most fun to do. I remember the photos from Facebook for sure. And uh, yeah, it was very, very cool. Uh, and Jessica was even, she was painted green and, uh, you know, it was. Oh yeah, she went all out for it. It was, it was a good was one. Which was interesting. The interesting part about painting your spouse green outside of the fact that I'm not sure if everyone's ever had to experience that. But not only do you have to try to not get it on your home, but then when you show up to the home of the party you're going to and find that all of their furniture is white, she also has to be quarantined. Uh, to quote the hangover, not my problem. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, anyway. You go out and sit in the grass. <laughs> yeah. What is a movie that you would have watched that your parents probably didn't want you to see yet? Uh, I can tell you one definitively that I still give them crap about to this day is I went to see The Matrix and I want to say it was like two weeks after Columbine happened and The Matrix was getting all of this bad press because it was people wearing all black in trench coats, toting lots of guns. So my parents went immediately to the overreaction of he can't watch this movie. Clearly it will twist his mind. Well, I'd already seen it. Um, I was asking for forgiveness instead of permission. Fantastic movie. Uh, it definitely got embargoed for about four years in my household, so I couldn't own it. Uh, finally, I got my dad to watch it, and he was like, oh, that was a really good movie. Yeah, you can get that. <laughs> I was uh, – that, that's funny. I went to the theaters with my parents. They didn't have an issue with that one. Uh, you know, I, I was sheltered from several for a long time, but uh, that's one that I got away with no trouble with. So that's interesting. Uh, bad timing in, in terms of a tragedy uh, taking away a great movie away from you. So, Oh, absolutely. And I, I was the breaking barriers child, so I was the one that got to knock all the walls down, so my brother had a pretty easy way of – skating on no that's fair that's how it goes I, i'm i'm the youngest so uh and maybe i didn't have to appeal too hard so normally i'd ask have you seen any movies lately and i'll definitely ask you that but we're coming off the heels of october and i'm just wanting to see did you watch any scary movies this month anything in particular uh, that gonna... stands out oh i definitely watched some scary movies this month i watched halloween for the first time in a zillion years. There's an episode uh, the for soul... that. Check it out if you well, haven't listened to it. For the sole purpose of going to see the new Halloween, which my wife and I are cursed on seeing movies in theaters. There are like four movies in theaters right now I want to see, and we're just failing miserably to get there. Um, but the one thing I'd really like to plug, if anybody hasn't seen it yet, is the Haunting on Hill House miniseries on Netflix. Oh my gosh. That is one of the scarier awesome things they have put out and just kudos for them with uh, continuing to crank out timely and interesting content. No, I have gotten several recommendations for that one. I, I will someday get to it. Um, I'm pretty slow on the TV intake, but, um, and so in general, what was the last movie you've seen? Give me just a second on this because I think I kind of had a train wreck of several. I'd say the last movie I saw was blade rewatch blade. The um, first one, right? 
Yep, yep. All three of them were on uh, Netflix as well, and I was flipping through and just needed something to watch, and I go, oh, yeah, Blade, definitely. And I'll tell you what, that movie holds up. I still really enjoy that. I, I'm a Stephen Dorff fan. I, I know a lot of people have probably f- completely forgotten who he is, but, man, he made a fantastic villain in that. So, anyway, if you have a chance to rewatch that, very enjoyable. I didn't know the name of uh, Stephen Dorff, but I, I, if you said villain and blade, I do remember him being quite good for that. So, so let's get into today's movie. Uh, we're going to talk today about uh, 2001's Black Hawk Down. It uh, it grossed 108.6 million dollars. Uh, it, it placed 18th in the box office in 2001. It placed um, behind. Uh, sorry, it placed ahead of Princess Diaries and a behind Spy Kids. So uh, it got an IMDb rating of 7.7, and the critics of Rotten Tomatoes give it 76%, and the audience score is 88%. So got some got some good got some good reviews here. Um, Brian, have you seen Black Hawk Down before? If so, when was your first time? What were your thoughts coming in? Uh, I I think I saw Black Hawk Down in theaters. Uh, I'm also fairly certain that I bought it on DVD not too long after. Um, I would say Black Hawk Down is in my top three to five go-to war movies to just chuck on, and I'd watch it just whenever, or I would stop on it if it were on and I was searching for something to watch. Um, it's just an easy one for me to be like, oh, yeah, Black Hawk Down, let's do this. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's a shame that John's not here also. I mean, he is so he selected it and uh, he is also a really big fan of it as well. So, um, you know, John also saw it pretty close to the time it came out. And uh, so for what for representing him for not being here, he uh, he he's a big fan of this movie. I, however, did not see this until I got to college. Um, So I'm seeing this movie probably in like mm, 2012 or so, maybe. Um, and so I didn't have as good of a time with it the first time I saw the huge cast and it was Ridley Scott and I went in with really high expectations and maybe because it was Ridley Scott, I was thinking it'd be a little more of a, mm, I didn't think it would be this gritty. And so it, it's, it's a heavy movie and, um, you know, coming back to it, I was in a better frame of mind this time around. But, uh, you know, particularly the first time I watched it, I had a tougher time with it. So um, you probably knew what you were getting in for better than I did. Sure. Um, I would also say that and it's funny that you bring up college. John and I, John was my roommate freshman year of college, and he and I used to like fall asleep to movies like this. Like we would have and specifically Ridley Scott we would fall asleep to gladiator all the time because once the movie was over that now you are free song would play on repeat for the, um, DVD menu. And man, if you can't sleep to that song, you can't sleep to anything. Well, we're going to get into this movie and uh, we're going to have to spoil it. But before we do, we have a message from the United States army. So, uh, that's pretty exciting. So, uh, here we go. Yep. Look to your green leaves, I will make you into soldiers. Now raise your bags at arm's length from your body, chest height until I say so, and keep them up. What is this, Private Cottrell? Is this a non-issued army belt around your waist? Uh, maybe, sir. What makes you think that you can walk in here like that? Did you just forget 
What else did you forget, Private Cottrell? Did you equip your latest episode of Retro Movie Roundtable? Yes, Girl Sergeant, sir. Private, did you give Retro Movie Roundtable ready review and subscription? Uh, drop here and give me 40, maggot. Don't you know the Retro Movie Roundtable needs your ratings, reviews, subscriptions to build this army of movie lovers and let them know how they can make the show better? I bet you did not even like the show on Facebook, much less write the show at Retro Movie Roundtable at Yahoo.com. Uh, no, sir. Are you dead, soldier? Do you think that you're special? I will whip you into shape. I will show you how to dress, rate, review, subscribe, like, and write the show like a United States soldier. Yes, sir, drill sergeant, sir. Wow, it's nice to know the uh, United States Army is behind the podcast and supporting the show. That's pretty cool, huh? I think I've met that drill sergeant before. He's intense. I wouldn't mess with him. I'd rate and review the show <laughs> if I were you. He'll make you do some push-ups. Um, anyway... Uh, so we're about to have to spoil the movie and to kick us off is Brian we're going to get the plot summary from you is that good? oh yeah Black Hawk Down is a war drama which was based on a best selling book detailing a nearly catastrophic mission in the Somali capital of Mogadishu to capture two lieutenants of the Somali warlord who ruled the city named General Hadid Around 100 men of the of a U.S. Army Ranger and Delta Force Command went in on October 3, 1993. The warlord in question was responsible for the genocide and ethnic cleansing of thousands of Somalians, as well as the murder of nine Pakistani peacekeepers from the U.N. Using the Army Ranger Air Cav approach, as well as ground transport vanguard, the Rangers and Delta unit proceed into the city and secure the target building without much opposition. Thing cha things changed, however, when Chalk 4, under the command of Sergeant Eversman, Josh Hartnett's character, sustained a casualty when a ranger missed the rope and fell from the Blackhawk. This started a chain of events leading to the eventual loss of two helicopters and the ground unit's valiant efforts to hold to one of their most time-honored traditions of never leave a man behind. After the soldier is secured, he is then taken to the convoy, but as this is happening, the Blackhawk providing close air support is struck in the rudder by an RPG, causing it to crash, killing both pilots. At this point, the U.S. forces face the hard decision to split their forces. Sergeant, Sergeant Eversman's chalk proceeds to the first crash site, while an advanced unit of the ground force takes the wounded soldier back. A larger force of Rangers and Delta members also pushed toward the first crash site. However, due to the ever-increasing volume of enemy combatants, they soon accrue too many casualties to continue. The fight doesn't go any better for the primary ground team as nearly every soldier ends up wounded or dead before being forced to abandon their first attempt to reach crash site number one. A second Black Hawk is then shot down, providing support over this crash site. Two Delta snipers request to be dropped off at this site to secure it until backup arrives. The narrative continues to darken as troops that the movie has done a pretty good job developing start to fall. The two Delta snipers are eventually overrun and the pilot they were defending is captured. Losses continue to increase at the first crash site as well until U.S. forces end up enlisting the help of the U.N. Peacekeepers Armored Division to go in and get them out. The movie to me, is a testament to the honor and brotherhood held by our soldiers. In the end, 18 American soldiers were killed and 73 wounded. I think the total casualties ended up being 20. The downed pilot was also recovered. As the movie states at the end, 
the Somali general is soon after, well, I don't think it was super soon, but maybe two years after killed. And the general who was in charge of his capture retired. It's a movie with a lot of stuff going on. That's for sure. It's doors. It's disorienting at times. So uh, good job. Yeah. It, it definitely requires, I, I don't think I could have probably put that synopsis together having watched it once. I think it's probably, not probably, it's definitely born of me watching that movie a lot. No, and that's what I'm saying. Uh, this this is the kind of movie to fully, really absorb. You need to see it more than once. Uh, I, I think that also contributed to the first time I walked away pretty unhappy. Uh, out of there, just not following very well. Um, it is based on a true story. It was a 1999 um, book uh, by journalist Mark Bowden. Um, so uh, this is this is not a fictional story, as uh, Brian mentioned. So uh, these things really happened. Uh, it's been simplified, and uh, even though there's an expansive set of characters, they actually did trim it down, believe it or not, to focus on a smaller core set of characters. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, they, they definitely take some liberties, as Hollywood will. But uh, I definitely think that in terms of really paying attention to more of the plight than the individuals is the key to it. And uh, really, really the grit. Like you said, it is a gritty movie, but the, the grit that uh, most of these guys show in order to really not, not back down and, and get the job done. So this is normally where John would uh, give us a walk through the cast and the uh, characters of the movie, but um, I'm going to have to collaboratively share this with you, uh, Brian, because uh, I just can't do it as well as John. Uh, so um, I'll, I'll walk you through the cast here, and uh, feel free to add some on there. we got Josh Hartnett as Eversman. Uh, yeah, we also have Ewan McGregor as Grimes. I'm a huge Ewan McGregor fan. Uh, we have Tom Sizemore as McKnight. Uh, Eric Bana as Hoot, also one of my favorite characters in the movie. Uh, oddly enough, it was his first U.S. movie. That's right. William Fitchner as Sanderson. Uh, he did a great job on this one. Uh, I feel like uh, you might know him from uh, uh, Talladega Nights. Yeah, and next we got Ewan Bremner. And, uh, you know, the first movie I saw him in was train spotting. So also not one of those more uplifting movies, although it was, uh, just a shade happier than Requiem for a dream when we're going into movies about heroin. Another war movie that has been in was wonder woman. So true, true. I think he's a really good supporting character. Um, just anytime I see him in a movie, I'm like, ah, it's him. So we got Sam Shepard as Garrison. Uh, I wasn't as familiar with Sam Shepard. He looked familiar. The name's very familiar. Um, help jog my memory. Why do we know Sam Shepard? Oh, he does a lot of westerns. He's kind of that hard nose, get it done kind of, you know, older gentleman. He's the Sam Elliott, you know, of the world. Just one of those guys that you usually see as a general or the commander of something or head cowboy, something like that. Um, so we got, uh, I'm going to pick up the pace here just a little bit and pick up a couple of these later ones. Gabriel Cassis as Kurth, Kim Coates as Wex, Hugh Dancy as Schmid, Ron Ellard, uh, as Durant, uh, Ion. Russ, Gruffer. let me jump in here real quick. Yeah. 
I just, yeah, I just want to jump in on Ron Eldred real quick. Uh, absolutely love him just because uh, if you've ever seen the movie Mystery Alaska, he plays Skank Martin. Uh, yes, his name is actually Skank. Uh, absolutely fantastic movie. Very heartwarming. If you're into sports movies, absolute must see. But uh, that was my introdu- introduction to him and just really enjoy mo- seeing him in film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we got... Ian Grefford as uh, Beals, Tom Geary as uh, Urich, uh, Charlie Hoffheimer as Smith, uh, Danny Hoke as Pilla, and Jason Isaac as Steele. He seems low build on this for me. Uh, Maybe his name value wasn't what it is now at the time. One of the few movies where he's not a bad guy. Yeah. Uh, He's good at being a bad guy, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I always think of Mel Gibson's The Patriot. <laughs> so we've got uh, Glenn Morshower as Matthews and Jeremy Piven as Wolcott. Um, and I think we'll cut it off at that point. Uh, the, if you hadn't noticed, this is a deep, deep cast. So Oh, absolutely. What do we think? And, and, uh, Go ahead. Even if, even if you don't have name recognition on a couple of these people, if you saw their faces, you're like, oh, that guy. It is a fine. I was gonna say that. Like, uh, it's a fine collection of. Oh yeah, that uh, that that guy's normally a quality tertiary kind of supporting piece, and so, um, as we kind of alluded to earlier, uh, this is a movie that's not really about an individual. Uh, it doesn't really have a strong centralized protagonist. It's about a unit. And uh, that's why it's very appropriate that it's our Veterans Day episode because it's it's a it's a team of people coming together, and so the story attempts to tell lots of things about this big uh, uh, big unit of men who are working together. So, yeah, I think if there was, I mean, obviously, given the billing, if you were going to give somebody the uh, moniker of star of the movie, it would be Josh Hartnett, which I was. I was actually okay with this. A lot of people do not like Josh Hartnett. I am not one of those people. I think he's been a highly underrated actor. Uh, typically get really excited when I see him and stuff. Um, even his small parts like uh, Sin City. But if you ever have a chance, watch Penny Dreadful. He's fantastic in that. And um, he even does some just weird off-the-wall stuff. So, A couple of fun casting notes. Uh, Tom Hardy, while buried in the listing there, this is his first uh, feature film. So, yep. Uh, where do we spot Tom Hardy, Brian? Uh, Tom Hardy is one of the heavy, or I should say, light machine gun um, pieces of Josh Hartnett's unit. He actually initially gets separated from the primary group as they were moving to the first crash site. And eventually he gets back together with two other members that had been separated and add a little bit of reinforcements to Josh Hartnett's beleaguered unit. Man, you nailed it. Um, Ridley Scott uh, also offered Russell Crowe the role of Sergeant Norm Hoot, uh, Hooten, uh, the Delta Squad leader. Um, however, Crowe had turned down the role uh, due to scheduling conflicts. Uh, he went on to be in A Beautiful Mind, which... Uh, Worked out really well for him. That movie uh, went well. Uh, but Crow is a huge fan of the uh, film Chopper and from 2000 and strongly recommended that Eric Bannon take the role in his place. And uh, as history played out, uh, Eric Bannon did get the role. So that's pretty cool, isn't it? 
Yeah, I have a really hard time picturing anybody but Eric Bana for this part at this point. I mean, you always hear about other actors who passed on on big roles and stuff like that. And I'm a Russell Crowe fan, so I'm not hating on him being in that role. But man, if you really, you know, watch this movie and you watch Eric Bana, it's just, gosh, I can't picture anybody else playing that part. Yeah, and Eric Bana said uh, he found the experience of this one to be ultra-realistic, and he even said at some points he even felt that he was forgetting that he was making a movie. So um, that was a pretty cool line from him. Um, Another interesting casting note I have is um, Grimes, played by Ewan McGregor, is a fictional character. And um, uh, though given his administrative position and... uh, uh, Pension for coffee. He's uh, unabashedly based on a real life ranger, uh, which was um, uh, John Stebbins, who was awarded the Silver Star for his actions during the battle and was a very brave soldier. Unfortunately, Stebbins was convicted in 2000 of child molestation and is currently serving a 30 year prison term. So as a result, the um, Pentagon apparently pressured the screenwriters to alter the name in the film. And uh, they plan to do this anyway. And so uh, Grimes is uh, based on a real hero uh, who has, unfortunately, a checkered future after this. And so uh, probably a good call. What do you say? Uh, Yeah, I think uh, I'm glad that they worked the character into the movie. Um, Like I said, I'm a huge Ewan McGregor fan, all about the Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, but his character is is one of the few comic relief moments uh, in the in the film as a whole, and I think that it would have uh, suffered without the addition of that character. I would go as far to say he might be the most interesting character um, of the bunch. Uh, but again, it, there's there's a it's a very decentralized set of characters, um, more so than usual. Um, I feel like we're starting to drift that way. Uh, what do you say we get into the film creation? Uh, what do you think about Ridley Scott uh, as a director and how he did this movie, Black Hawk Down? So I'm kind of one of those sun rises and sets with Ridley Scott kind of people. Not saying that he's necessarily my favorite director, but he's really close up there. Um you know, he produced Blade Runner, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, it's just he's just one of those guys that if I see him directing a movie, I'm all about it. You know, just sign me up. Don't have to ask me twice kind of thing. And, you know, even even the movies that he gets knocked for, like Kingdom of Heaven, that was one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. And I'm a glutton for uh, historical fiction movies. And, you know, if you give me a movie that's four hours long and watchable, which I think is what a lot of people disagree with, you know, sign me up for all four hours. Well, let's go through some of the playlists as you're talking about. Like, why? Let's what makes uh, point out some of the ones there that uh, you particularly like, as you did. Uh, you you pulled all that Kingdom of Heaven, but I mean, uh, obviously, '79 Alien is a really uh, watershed uh, early film for him. '82's Blade Runner, '85 uh, Legend, '89 uh, Black Rain, '91 Black Rain's awesome. Yeah, uh, Thelma and Louise. Um, 
1997, another military movie, G.I. Jane. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of that one. Um, I have multiple copies of it. It's a great workout movie. I like any movie that really fa- focuses on military boot camp. Highly recommend them for your exercises. I don't know. Gets that, you pumped up. I don't know how I feel about uh, GI Jane when I'm working out. It doesn't make me feel very good to see everybody. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I want to see uh, a, a bunch of fat people uh, in boot camp <laughs> not doing well. So I feel like, oh, I'm doing pretty good here. But uh, <laughs> seeing Demi Moore and uh, you know Vigo uh, Mortensen and all these other people, uh, you know, ripped and doing a great job makes me kind of think. It's like I'm not gonna get there. I may as well just pack it up sit at my desk and make some building drawings. So, um, so I think, I, I think for me personally, the hardest thing, it, it would be harder for me to pick a movie by Ridley Scott. I didn't like than it is for me to talk about all the ones that I did. Okay. Um, I, I was going to keep going he, here. Uh, gladiator, okay, gladiator, ahead. 2000, um, Hannibal, 2001. That might be a little misstep for me. What are you, are, is that, are you still holding through on that one? Hmm. Not out of the, I, I liked Red Dragon and I like Silence of the Lamb so much more that I, I probably would pass on that one, but okay. thought so. Black Hawk yeah. Down 2001. Uh, someone should make a podcast episode about that. Um, <laughs> Matchstick Men in 03, Kingdom of Heaven in 05, uh, A Good Year 06, American Gangster 07, Body of Lies 08, uh, controversial remake of robin hood 2010 uh is that one still in the good category for you i actually have that one too i (laughs) it's another one that caught a lot of crap and i was like nope still enjoy it look if you look at this like okay you've got costner's robin hood you got the disney one with the fox yep uh you've got the bbc tv show you know there's not a ton of Robin Hood out there. So why really argue with a different take on it? Now there is a new one coming out and it smacks of the um, Guy Ritchie King Arthur. So we'll see how that one does. But uh, yeah, man, you know, it's Robin Hood. Sign me up. Prometheus 20, uh, 2012 uh, and uh, the Martian in 2015. I loved the Martian. And mm-hmm. uh, Alien Covenant in 2017, which uh, got mixed reviews for sure. So uh, many of those are up there for me. I certainly love the Alien series, Gladiator, and uh, you know Martian all pop out as my top Ridley Scott ones. Uh, is is this one your favorite Ridley Scott effort? Oh, you said it would be Blade Runner, didn't you? Yeah, Blade Runner would be my favorite Ridley Scott. Okay. What are some of the themes, uh, being that you're well-versed in his, like, what do you like about him as a director? What did he bring to the table? Like, like well, he targets a, he targets a couple genres that, you know, are sweet spots for me. Um, like I said, historical fiction, um, anytime he does a period piece, I'm like, I'm in, I had a rough time with Exodus gods and Kings. That one just didn't. I, that one didn't resonate with me. There was a little too much supernatural going on on that one. I'm not as big a fan as uh, of when he goes into magic or um, I guess not necessarily just magic, but also uh, mythology as he did with that one, religion and mythology. Uh, he is jumping back into historical fiction with Battle of Britain coming up. So 
really excited about that. Expecting some good gritty air combat in that one. Uh, I, like I said, I didn't have a problem with uh, Robin Hood. Uh, Kingdom of Heaven was good. G.I. Jane, you know, another military great. I actually really like Black Rain. You know, Black Rain was, you know, probably categorized as a run-of-the-mill uh, uh, late 80s action movie. Really enjoyed it. Big Michael Douglas fan. So, yeah, I don't know. And then, obviously, Blade Runner with the sci-fi. So I just and, – and Alien with the sci-fi. So he's really covering a lot of area that, that I personally enjoy. So – I think uh, Ridley Scott um, is normally um, he comes in different flavors, as Brian kind of alluded to, and uh, so he's versatile to a degree. Uh, not that he's gonna go out there and like do a comedy movie or something like that, but um, I think that uh, this is one that he took a really brave approach by making it about a team instead of an individual and. Um, I think, however, unfortunately, at times it becomes very hard to follow, particularly for a first-time watcher. So um, he does a he does a good job of getting you the immediate background. I like how at the beginning of the movie they give you a number of facts, of which we may get into here some of those in a little bit. But um, um, I am I feel a little bit bad for saying this, but um, I felt so scattered and it was a little on the long side. Uh, and I was very disoriented to the point where I watched a documentary on the Black Hawk Down incident uh, to help me prepare for this. And I, I admittedly like the documentary a little better. <laughs> so I get that. And the thing is, I'd watch a documentary on this anyway, just because, you know, the history of it is fascinating to me. Um, back on what we were talking about a few minutes ago, though, he actually did toy with a comedy once. Uh, Matchstick Men was a crime comedy. Uh, with um, Nicolas Cage. So, uh, you know, not not going to make my top 10 list of movies he's done, but, you know, it was he, he was trying to get outside the box a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think about uh, him getting behind the camera here? Uh, what does this movie look like to you? Like, is it... Go ahead. Well, like you, like you said, it is a very intense movie. Uh, they really push the envelope on keeping you in the fast pace, um, showing that the situation was fluid. Things were changing all the time. People were struggling to adapt, to come up with new plans of action and that sort of thing. Um, really, Sam Shepard mentions – has a line in the movie where he's like, "We've we're losing the initiative here. And that really sums up the essential problem with what happened historically in this battle is they went in, they went in fast, they succeeded, and then something happened. And that one, you know, kind of butterfly effect thing, that one thing happened and it really drastically changed how this whole thing turned out. You are right about that. And, and uh, this movie is ultimately about some missteps that uh, lead to a from bad to worse situation. And um, it is interesting to see uh, the high cost of making a mistake in this, in this situation. It's not a movie that like says, Oh oh no, there's something's wrong and we're going to fix this in 10 minutes. uh, Put you through a little bit of tension. It is a bit of a downward spiral for, I would say a majority of the movie, wouldn't you? And then uh, it's, it, it somehow kind of works out okay in the end. Um, is that a fair statement? Um, I mean, 
like you said, it's a it's a works out okay as in not everyone died, then yeah, it, it's just I think the the movie is more a nod or salute, if you will, to the bravery of the men who refuse to leave their comrades behind. And, and that's, that's really the, the gem of this is it really does illustrate that being in the military is, is an honor and you're fighting for your country. But Eric Banner really says it best that it's about the man next to you. And I think they illustrated it very, very well in this film. Mm, You know what? That is really well said. Um, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. What do we think about the atmosphere of this movie, Brian? Uh, fast pace. I mean, it's 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 an adrenaline uh, pump, uh, basically, from the word go for the mission. And they do a really good job with dropping some jokes and showing camaraderie uh, prior to the battle. But man, once the you know, first couple bullets start flying, it's it's intensely pushing you through this battle. Oh, he's right. I mean... Uh... They really don't let up uh, the you're like I said, you're disoriented. You're hopping from one unit to another. These guys are separated. Other people are coming in and going out. Uh, There's constant motion and uh, there's always people firing at you and you can't really even see them or where they're coming from. And I think to some degree, I think that's a feeling that Ridley Scott wanted to give you because undeniably if you were down in those streets there uh you would be a little bit uh, disoriented yourself so i have a lot of uh uh, deja vu moments and um kind of i'm not even sure if there's really a word for this but it's one of those things where i watch a movie and i remember either watching it at a different time or something of that nature where it makes me want to do something else while I'm watching it. So I'm one of those weird people that watches TV shows or DVDs or whatever on my laptop while I'm playing video games. So I was watching this and it reminded me of playing like Battlefield 1942, which, you know, obviously older uh, style of combat or um, even Battlefield Vietnam on my laptop in college. And while I was watching it, it, it just gave me that nostalgia. And I was like, oh, I don't even have anything that will run those games anymore, which also made me feel old. <laughs> so uh, this movie takes place in Somalia. And if uh, you're not versed in where Somalia is, it's the easternmost tip uh, out on the peninsula on the, as you might call it, the Horn of Africa. It's at the mouth of the Red Sea. And uh, so it's interesting. It is in Africa, but at the same time, it is in the Gulf uh, area and part of the um, Middle East in a way. So none of this film was actually filmed in Somalia. They went to a similar looking cities in Rabat and then Saleh in Morocco. And uh, no Somali actors are actually in the cast. Uh, but Somalia at the time was super uh, dangerous to go to, very unstable. So... Can't blame him for that, can you? Nope, not a bit. You know, I as I mentioned, I watched a documentary about this, so there was a lot of information on that. So uh, I, I'm going to just condense a few things just for some background on this. I thought it might be helpful to give a little picture of what the history of Somalia is. In 1920, and uh, you had the British and the Italians were 
owned half and half of Somalia. But by 1960, the UN agreement made it so that both the British and the Italians pulled out of Somalia and gave them independence. Um, by 63, Kenya was no longer with diplomatic relations with Britain because they had backed Kenya and given a small district of land to Kenya, which was occupied by Somalis. So Somalia is kind of on its own, and their president is assassinated in 1969, and Major uh, General Mohamed Zaibare raises to power and has policies that is more towards the USSR. Um, the Somali government engages in a war in Ethiopia where they're backing rebels over there, and over the course of eight months, a huge chunk of their army is depleted. So in 1991, President Mohamed Saeed Barre flees the country and his departure leaves Somalia in the hands of guerrilla groups and warlords, and there's a vacuum of power. And that's where this movie starts to pick up. And Africa is experiencing one of its worst droughts on record in 1992, and there's a pervasive famine, killing 300,000 people. And that's where this movie picks up when U.S. troops are sent in to protect the delivery of food in 1992. And they were ambushed by warlord Muhammad Faria Adid, uh, who ambushes the troops and drags their bodies through the streets. And that gets America involved in the area. Um, but as this movie points out, uh, we quickly realize that this is not an easy-to-resolve situation. And Somalia is entrenched in anarchy for another 15 years. And even after that, uh, it's still complicated. So uh, it, just to give a picture of the complicated mess that Somalia is. You're coming into this movie um, in the midst of when nobody's in control, pretty much. Yeah, lots of little groups vying for control. A uh, lot of warlords pop up in these power vacuum situations, and that's never good for your common person. You know, at one point they mentioned that it might not be such a bad place to be if it wasn't so uh, so war-torn. Uh, the weather's not so terrible. It's often between 70 and 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and a little bit about the country itself. Like I said, it is a Muslim nation. So uh, even though it's uh, Africa, it may be, like I said, its identity is uh, distinctly has aspects of being Middle Eastern as well. So uh, there is extreme religious practice there. Uh, it's not necessarily the best place for women. They definitely practice uh, genital mutilation, and they require veils and head covers, uh, you know, homosexuality, punish punishable by death. Um, so this is, a, this is a rough, stateless place that is... It's hard to be in, and at the beginning of the movie, we see emaciated uh humans that are just um you know skin and bones and uh they're they're starving and there's an ongoing war with kenya for oil uh this is just not a place you want to be if you haven't gathered it from what i'm saying um yeah i totally agree i think it's it's one of the harder parts of this movie you know uh, watching a lot of movies requires willing suspension of of disbelief it's never if yet if you sit down and think about it this is a very very difficult movie to be like oh i love watching this movie because all of this stuff really happened men lost their lives somali people you know it was huge genocide um all of those are incredibly weighty and horrible things and so i don't ever want to give off the idea it's like oh i love this movie based on an entertainment standpoint um so 
you know, please don't think I'm going that direction. But um, it, it is hard sometimes to put yourself in a gear where you're watching a movie for entertainment's sake when so many horrible things had to happen for it to be made. Yeah, it's true. And um, so this takes place in 1992. Um, And the, uh, sorry, the background starts off in 1992. And they tell you about Muhammad Farah Adid uh, as the most powerful warlord there who has kind of taken control of the capital of Mogadishu. And so in April 93, uh, you know, we have attacks uh, of UN peacekeepers who are there to just to deliver food to people. And um, in June, they kill 24 Pakistani soldiers that target American personnel. And in August, the U.S. Delta Force is sent into Mogadishu to remove Adid. And um, this is a three-week mission that uh, turned into uh, uh, six. Uh, and uh, the U.S. became impatient as the intro of the movie points out. And so this particular movie revolves around going in to intercept two key members of Adid's, um, I guess you could call cabinet, or two of his main uh, advisors in his uh, organization. So, Yeah, I, I actually think that they, uh, I don't know if this part is historically, historically accurate in the movie or not. They actually take quite a few more uh, than two in the movie. So I don't know if it was uh, targets of circumstance. They just happened to be there. So they took everybody or if that part actually happened, they may have just bumped it up to give you more of an idea of how important it was to, to make that personnel grab. They did get the two in real life. So, um, it's hard. I, I, I didn't see that in the documentary, but it's interesting to note that, uh, the mission actually was a success. They did intercept the two people that they wanted to take into custody um the movie doesn't really point that out does it or did i forget something there well you know that they get out with their truckload of people um although during several parts where where the convoy is trying to leave the city you definitely see people it's an open it's an open back truck in the in the uh, way that it had a tarp over it but clearly not bulletproof. So you definitely see in the movie some of these people they pick up that are in the back of this truck being shot too. No, you're 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 right about that. And as you mentioned before, this is somewhat about the men's relationships with each other and less so about just the mission. Uh, so um, like I said, to some degree, the documentary helps clear up the big picture. And this is a little more mm, between the men themselves. So. Yeah, and if you are a a set design kind of person, if you're if you're into the aesthetics of of movies like this, it's also worth noting that there is a 2003 video about designing Mogadishu for this movie, and uh, what they did in terms of setting it up and showing the roadblocks and you know actually starting fires to make this realistic. You know the rubber that they burn to send up basically smoke signals to the militia to let let them know that American soldiers were coming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, funny. You should mention that we talked about the emaciated forms in the beginning, the opening sequences, and this is just one of my favorite special effects. You're talking about effects. The opening sequences to pick those starving Somalis, uh, you know, but they're actually rubber bodies that they created. Uh, and then they have a breathing hose, like pumping air into the, uh, human form 
to simulate the appearance of breathing, uh, they thank goodness didn't starve anybody that that much and then filmed them. Yeah. Uh, and again, you know, that's th- that's really the, the terrible part. It's easier to watch a Robin Hood or something like that because, you know, it's it's heavy fiction. But the, the, the one real dark part of this movie is the fact that that it all really happened. Well, that's why the U.S. in, you know, had, I believe, good intentions to go in. The U.N. was there to provide food to people who were starving. But the warlord Adid was, uh, you know, using hunger as a weapon and they mentioned this in the movie and so um it's important to see that and uh like i said this is this is in many ways a well-made uh movie with a lot of uh poignant imagery but it's also an ugly movie in terms of the content that it has to capture so uh it it does not glorify war and that's something that ridley scott said that he did not want to do so absolutely um uh, let's talk about the soundtrack here for a, a minute. I thought it was interesting. It's kind of a tale of two halves. Uh, the movie has a, quite a long lead in, and uh, we get a lot of really interesting, um, popular rock and roll iconic songs, many of which would have been contemporary for the 93 setting, which I really like them anchoring uh, the time of the movie to the setting. But then when they go to battle, uh, you start to have a much more symphonic, um, more uh instrumental uh you know kind of intense score that takes over and the rock and roll is long gone after after that point why do you think that is well i mean it's what's going on they they spend so much at the beginning of the movie kind of getting you immersed in the culture of uh, soldiers and their downtime and in the uh time-honored t- tradition of a lot of war movies using a lot of pop culture music of the time. I mean, you can go all the way back to your apocalypse now using the doors or, you know, whatever, but, um, they even used, you know, Melinda Dietrich or something for a world war two. So it's, uh, it's definitely a tradition in war movies to use the, the tenor of the time, if you will. And, uh, once you get into the battle, then it's the, you know, music can, can, can make or break a scene. And at that point you're, you're using music as emotion. I think to some degree there was a sense of confidence in the men and the first part of the movie before the mission begins, wouldn't you say? And like, there's kind of a sense of like, we, uh, we got a lot of big guns here and, uh, we're pretty confident we're going to, we're going to run the show over here. Um, am I wrong in saying that's kind of the, uh, or I, let me say they exude confidence in the beginning. Is that a fair statement? Oh, absolutely. And I, I think that's true. A hundred percent of, of service personnel. I mean, you're there to do a terrible thing. You know, anytime that you bring a gun with you to, uh, to enforce something, then, you know, killing can always, or will always happen. And, uh, you know, that's not always something you want to be dwelling on. So keeping up the confidence, being jovial, like I said, I use humor for a lot of stuff. So joking around with your friends and that sort of thing that are in your unit, that's all necessary. I think they showed that camaraderie well in the beginning. Uh, but they also then use that, you know, Ridley Scott really uses that to, to turn a wrench in your heart once you see these guys start to drop. Yeah, uh, so there's a lot of music I really liked in here. You had Elvis's We're Caught in a Trap, um, which was kind of uh, a foreshadowing of something that comes up. Um, 
they're they have like rock and roll music and done in uh, some kind of Middle Eastern language. That was uh, kind of interesting to ground you in the location. House of Pains jump around uh, when the men are just playing basketball at the base. Um, one that I, I, re- I go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say I I particularly liked Right Turn by Alice in Chains featuring Chris Cornell. Um, always be a Chris Cornell fan. May he rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, there's another one where um, Ewan McGregor is lamenting, uh, sorry, um, the, he's lamenting the fact that he's just making coffee and he's behind a desk and, you know, he's kind of ex- exhibiting regret that, uh, you know, he did, uh, he served in desert storm, I believe, and, uh, didn't get to do anything heroic. And, uh, you have Stone Temple Pilots, one of my favorite bands, Creep playing in there. And, uh, the, one of the big lines for that is I'm half the man I used to be. I thought that was probably my favorite music moment of these. Um, you could call them popular rock uh, iconic songs in the early part. Sure. There. Um, Faith No More, uh, Somebody Put Me Together. Uh, I like that as the men are assembling to go out. Uh, you know, that, that nature of putting people together. So Ridley Scott's pick it up on the lyrics, but also the, the um, you know, the attitude is there. Um, but later on... Things switch to tribal drums with hollow haunting uh, vocals that you, you know, are just uh, more instrumental, uh, where the voice is used more as an instrument. And they're, they, they are quite haunting and strings that are uh, full of suspense. Um, what do we think about the music when they go out in the battlefield, Brian? I, as I mentioned earlier, I think that music can just make or break a movie if it's if it's done right. And I give kudos to anybody who does soundtracks for movies, or the uh, specifically the workers who say, "Ooh, I think this track fits here." I can't tell you how often I use Shazam to find out what a song is during a television show or movie. And I would say the vast majority of, of the songs that I look up are because I heard them in something and it fit that mood or that scene so well that I'm like, ooh, I need to remember this. So do you want to get into Lick for this? Yeah, sure. I'm going to go first here. Um, we'll just take turns going back and forth with some interesting trivia or fun facts that you, you have about the movie or the making of the movie. Um, Nelson's character, even Bremer, uh, says to uh, Twombly, uh, just don't fire that thing too close to my head. I can barely hear as it is. Uh, Bremer actually partially lost his hearing. The actor lost his hearing after uh, that scene because of the gunfire. Even though those aren't live bullets, uh, this thing is actually going off next to his head. And uh, eventually he got it back, but for a period of time, he did not have full uh, functioning hearing in his ear, which is pretty uh pretty wild to say so uh yeah and actually uh on that too a lot of the radio chatter that you hear throughout the film is actual radio chatter from the battle oh i actually didn't know that one that's pretty cool uh that's yeah an, that's yeah, a nice they, layer they, there. yep they use recordings from the actual battle that's a good find uh the department of defense gave the producers uh a platoon of army rangers who did the rope scenes uh, when casting or, or I said setting in from the helicopters uh, down on the ground. So those are real trained soldiers doing that. So that's cool. Just not the one that missed it. That was all Orlando Bloom. <laughs> Flop. <laughs> um, not that that's funny for the real guy that actually got injured. 
That's true. No, that then that, again that did happen. That started this whole incident. So, um, on the last again, thing, it's a tale. It's a tale of two things with this movie. It's like, hey, I'm not trying to you know belittle the 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 piece that it was horrible, but you know we are talking about the entertainment piece of the movie. Yes, yeah, uh, and so on the last day of their long uh, week long Army Ranger orientation at Fort Benning, the actors uh, you know actually went and got to meet the types of soldiers that they were portraying and uh, the rangers uh, gave them a letter and they slipped it under the door of the actors there and they uh, thanked them for their hard work and they said uh, tell our story true and they signed with all the names of the rangers who had worked with them and um, you know they also had printed on them the names of the soldiers who died in the Mogadishu uh, firefight so um, that's pretty cool I yeah mean, absolutely imagine being an actor and getting that kind of uh that would be that'd be one of those moments that at the end of your career you might look back on and say like that's that shows you how why this movie's special to me certainly certainly one of my favorite scenes from the movie uh just to kind of show the uh they typically soldiers are typically uh prone to things being kept normal because any deviation might jinx it superstitious that's the word i'm looking for so soldiers are prone to being superstitious that's why you see a lot of like first recon guys never eat charms as a uh, as a rule just because they think it's bad luck so uh one of the things i really liked in the movie was as uh, sergeant eversman's chalk is assembling in the chopper sam shepherd who's the gen- commanding general comes out and wishes them luck and Hartnett gets this kind of horrified look on his face and Ewan McGregor goes, what's wrong? And he goes, I don't know. He's just never done that before. And Ewan McGregor goes, Oh, (laughs) so I just, that made me laugh just because it goes into that, you know, superstition, uh, superstition of the soldiers and that sort of thing. That's right. That's right. One other thing that I want to mention is in the documentary, they actually had a really helpful diagram to show what parts of town that they were in and how far they the Black Hawk down uh, incident was from the next chopper that went down and where the men were on the street. So this was all very helpful. You don't get a good sense for that at all in the movie. But um, in there, they talked about uh, the RPGs that the terrorists, or, or I would say the warlord or the fighters are using, and they're, and they're shooting up at the helicopters, and they were explaining in the documentary it was extremely dangerous. They were under, they did not bring in the proper amount of equipment and it was only a matter of time before one of these things got hit because there are literally hundreds of RPG explosives being launched up at these helicopters because apparently they're not that hard to come by. They're not that expensive and they're basically like a missile propelled grenade pretty much. Yep. And that, that's enough yep. to take down a chopper like this. Absolutely. And that's, that's what RPG stands for is rocker propelled grenade. Um, I do not envy anybody who flies support in these situations. I can't imagine what kind of chaos having these little rockets firing at you constantly must, must cause you. That's hats off to the people who can do it. Yeah, Absolutely. So um, this is part of the time where we want to ask you, how did this movie affect you when you watch this? Like what you, you kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier, but talk more about this. Like, how does it make you feel? And does it remind you of anything in your own personal experiences? 
Um, I mean, I, I, wa- I watch and read a lot of history. Um, you know, like I said, my uncle was in the military, so I've always been been curious. Uh, growing up, I spent some time in Fort Hood, Texas, uh, when he was commanding a, a tank battalion. And got to see them out on maneuvers and stuff like that. So, you know, just just having those experiences makes me list toward types of movies like this because I you know, just find them fascinating. Um, I think that this sort of movie is it's inspiring to to see people you know struggle and succeed, and to you know, anytime you you get to watch uh, real uh, heroism in action it just you know it it touches you so yeah i would say that that that's the that's the big you know you watch it and you feel pride because you know there are people willing to go out and do this for their country and uh you know you want to feel that sense of uh you know honor and duty by you know really immersing yourself in the film yeah um for me i i think particularly to Eric Bana's character who really isn't too psyched to be there. Uh, but he's there to fulfill a duty and to do his job. And, uh, he talks about it and says, um, you know, I don't, you know what I think? It doesn't really matter what I think. Once the first bullet goes past your head, politics and all that stuff, uh, just goes right out the window. Um, and that to me takes me back to, uh, maybe junior high times when, you have to do something you don't want to do it and then like i might have a ten i might have had a tendency to just complain about it or to criticize or do we really have to do it this way or do we have to do it and that's counterproductive it slows you down and you know you realize whether it be at like camp or church camp or something like that or boy scouts or wherever it is school if you have to do something you got to do it anyway and you complain a ton you're just going to lose friends and you're not going to do it and you're not going to have a good time so the best thing to do is to be a good teammate, knock it out, do what needs to be done, take it seriously so you don't have to do it five times over, and uh, then you have more time to do what you want to do. And that's, in a way, what soldiers are out there doing. They're doing not what they want to do, but what needs to be done so that you and they, when they're finished, can go home, be with their families, and do what they need to do. So you can apply that to any kind of part of your own life, You know, whether it be in your community, at work, at church, or even in your own family, there's always things that suck and you just don't want to do them. But if you buckle down and just do what needs to be done and get through it, you'll have a better time afterwards. So that's that's just uh, something I take away from this one. Oh, sure. I feel like uh, I'm just going to go play this for all of my employees going into the holiday season. Just go get it done. (laughs) And some uh, of you may yeah, not be. I mean, some of you may not be coming back home <laughs> after Black Friday. Yeah, um, I did see that according to uh, Chris Kyle, uh, American Sniper, that they show this film to U.S. Special uh, Navy Special Forces recruits to inspire them before they begin Hell Week for SEAL training. Interesting. I did not. Well, it makes sense. I mean, uh, yeah, absolutely. It, it is. It has a strong sense of realism. I, I, I mean, there are people who have served that said there. This wouldn't. This is one of those movies that feels more faithful. So, sure, there's a lot to be said for that. So, um, so Brian, you ready for some uh, superlatives? Sure. Yeah, let's go for it. MVP, you get to go first. 
Um, I'm going to go with Tom Sizemore on this one. I, gosh, I really liked his character, and I haven't ta- gotten to talk about him at all. Um, his uh, portrayal of Steel, who is the uh, ground the ground team's commander, was just fantastic. I mean, he had that you know stoic, uh, calm under fire mentality down really well for the movie. One of my favorite lines is when they had to stop to assess damage and and get an, a, a, a KIA driver out of a driver's seat who had actually been hit with an RPG. They get the convoy moving again. He tells his driver to get in and drive, and he's like, but sir, I'm shot. And he's like, we're all shot. Get in and drive. So going back to your just-do-your-job kind of thing. Um, it's uh, His character is just one of those ones that – even though it's not meant to make you laugh, sometimes it makes you laugh. I really enjoyed him in this, and uh, his character stood out to me as uh, one of those like, man, this guy is tough. I mean, he gets shot in the neck, am I right? And um, yep. and doesn't stop, or, or at least, yeah, it's either he was shot in the neck or shrapnel hit. A, he gets hit with something. He's seriously injured, and uh, yeah, you know, he just keeps on going through. He could have gone back and easily said i need medical attention but i mean he's one of those uh like you said stoic definitely describes the character that's an excellent pick um so i'm uh i'm gonna kind of cheat on this one and break the fourth wall and say my mvp are the real life delta force soldiers who really did this and it was uh you know there's without them there's no story to be told here and um they they acted bravely in a time when things are just not going well so um everything seems to be crumbling around them and um you know there are a real group of people who got in there and you know cut their losses and helped to uh, help to save each other and get everybody out of they could so a great loss so Oh, absolutely. You know, the, the UN peacekeepers, uh, two of them actually died in the real battle, uh, army Rangers, the SOAR unit, uh, Delta, every, you know, everybody who sacrificed and everybody who does sacrifice, everybody who is in, you know, places that aren't Somalia, you know, we've got men and women all over the world that sacrifice and, uh, who risk their lives for us. And that's, that's an absolute fantastic superlative. Um, so I might be downgrading supporting out of this, uh, but, uh, so I'm going to just copy you, uh, and say for my best supporting actor, I went size more as well. So I'm kind of step for step with you on that one. How about you, uh, for best supporting? Mm, if I'm going to go with supporting, I'm going to go with Sam Shepard on this. Uh, I really liked his, his portrayal of the commanding general. Um, he does that stoic piece well too. Um, I also really, really liked, uh, obviously we talked about you and McGregor's character and, uh, just to give uh, a shout out to John here, you know, I know one of my favorite characters and his probably favorite character was Eric Bana's hoot, um, just based on his actions throughout the entire movie, his dialogue is fantastic. So if John were here, he'd definitely be plugging the, uh, the Eric Bana piece. Yes, he would. Um, Hidden gem. Um, Brian, you go first. Um, hidden gem is probably the fact that if uh, if you go back and watch this for the first time, 
before listening to this podcast and you realize it's Tom Hardy that you're looking at, given how big Tom Hardy is right now with, you know, he's he's got time to do blockbuster movies like Venom and, at the, and The Revenant. But at the same time, he's putting out great content on uh, miniseries. If you ever get a chance to check out Taboo. So a guy of uh, many talents, but then, you know, just just kind of an Easter egg stuck in this movie because you go back and watch it and you're like, holy crap, that's Tom Hardy. Would you and say it's well that before he's, you've ever heard of Tom Hardy? Would you say that he's gone on to become the biggest actor in this movie or would you still maybe maybe even McGregor still has? Yeah, I would. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, that's I'd say it's definitely between those two. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it'd be it'd be one of the two of them. If you'd asked me maybe five, ten years ago, I would have said Orlando Bloom. Also, you know, very minor character in this movie. Uh, oh, but yeah. It, yeah, he's it, 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 In no means, uh, you know, he's obviously very important to the, the cast here. But, um, yeah, I think uh, Tom Hardy, Ewan McGregor, Orlando Bloom, all, all probably up there in the, the popularity scheme. Yeah. Although if you watch if you watch more foreign movies, you could say Eric Bana easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a hidden gem for me. Um, underappreciated and strangely low build in this. Uh, Jason Isaacs. I just uh, mm. I like this guy. Yep. Everything he's in. So. Um, he's good. He's yep. real good. And I, I did like him. I, I like the uh, argument that he got into with uh, Fitchner there. And correct me if I'm wrong, uh, one of them uh, is a ranger, which is Fitchner. And one of them is a, um, how would you correctly describe Isaac's character? Uh, he's a... So, so you actually got to flip it. Isaac's is a ranger uh, commander. So he is actually in charge of all the ranger soldiers that took uh, took part in this battle. Um, the other guy is just a sergeant. He's a platoon sergeant of a group of Delta. So Isaacs does outrank him, but he doesn't have any specific command over the Delta units. So um, it's kind of, there's, there's, I wouldn't call it a power struggle, but there's also not a lot of love lost between the two characters. But there's a culture difference in these two kinds of soldiers, as I understand it. The Deltas are kind of, um, I wouldn't say less, they were were called cowboys in this at one point, um, that they are perhaps more of a wild card that you throw in there, and uh, they really scrap and, uh, um, am I describing this well? Yeah, anytime you have a unit that is billed characteristically as uh, elite, there is a certain amount of swagger that comes along with it. Um, I'll plug this right now. If you ever get a chance to watch HBO's Generation Kill, uh, based on a book written by a Rolling Stone uh, author uh, who is embedded with uh, Marine Force Recon in Iraq, and you know, these units, they plan stuff out to do, you know, like every member wears a hat at a certain time because, you know, that's what distinguishes them. So the army Rangers are, you know, much more clean cut, much more disciplined. The Delta force operatives, I'll use operatives as a word because they're being sent in as, as spies, uh, into Mogadishu. Mogadishu. So there's definitely a swagger, 
uh, would be probably the most polite thing I can, uh, or way I could go about it. But, uh, that doesn't go over well with Isaac's character who wants the regimented discipline. Right. And he's in, in fairness, he's guarding over a younger, less trained unit. And as you mentioned, um, sticking to your training is a lot more valuable to them. And so, uh, I thought it was also interesting in the documentary they told they said that uh, uh, interviews like the younger people who were the Rangers said that they really looked up to the Deltas in some ways and in a moment uh, where the Delta where a Delta is killed uh, in real life uh, they that was when it was like oh my gosh they can kill one of those guys this is real like like the, it 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 was a perception change for the for the soldiers who were there. So I was always really curious about this part because I've also seen movies where they depict ranger school and that's one of the, the elite units of the U S armed forces. So I was always kind of curious about how they portrayed army rangers in this versus the Delta. And if there was ever any bitterness from U S rangers, about being portrayed as the younger, less experienced, or younger, um, um, well, kind of. Uh, admittedly, yeah. admittedly, again, it was it was one of them speaking on behalf of this other unit, the Deltas, and uh, I think you've straightened me out. Thank you for doing that. Um, and he was just simply saying, like, "Oh, this 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 stuff got real." So, um, right. Um, yeah. Anyway, and if if you weren't already aware that it was real, it it, it it's for real. So, um, uh, recast. Uh, if you could recast anybody or had to recast anybody in the cast, who would you recast and uh, why? I have a hard time with these questions, just because when I end up really liking a movie and I really settle into it, uh, I have a hard time picturing anybody else in these positions. Um, if I were being funny, I would recre- recast Orlando Bloom's character with Tobey Maguire. Orlando Bloom. Oh, oh, uh, explain yourself. Um, well, it's portrayed in the movie that, you know, and, and I guess in real life that, that him missing that rope was really the whole thing that started this. I don't have any real, um, uh, problem with Orlando Bloom, but I kind of don't like Tobey Maguire. So I would, I would, I would shift somebody that, uh, wow. Okay. I don't particularly like into that. Position. I was actually quite taken with uh, Orlando Bloom's performance. I thought he conveyed, Oh, he did a great a job. Young, enthusiastic, he... like, you know, like I'm ready to go out and get him in kind of, so, uh, that's interesting. Uh, I, I, uh, I've, I actually feel really mean right now for saying that. I, I just, oh, no, it's okay. I don't. I don't know. I have. A, I have a really. I have a hard time recasting people who do a great job. Um, and you know, I bet there are a bunch of Tobey Maguire fans out there, but I just uh, not one of them. He hates Spider Man too, guys. I mean, attack. I hate. I hate. I hate that Spider Man. Boo. I anyway. Hate, I, I, that, that particular spot. I hung you out to dry just now. I'm sorry. It, it, it was it was a dark moment for me in super superhero film. Um. Anyway, um. So for my recast, I'm gonna go at the other end of the spectrum. Uh, I'm actually gonna go to the higher end of the uh, billing and say I would like to recast Josh Hartnett. Um. 
his character, he did not leave the kind of impression. As you mentioned, if anybody probably is supposed to be the uh, 1A or 1B protagonist in this, it would be him. And uh, for some reason, he his introspective moments of thinking, um, you know, I believe that we're here to do good and trying to grapple with this, uh, you know, morally, like, uh, for him was an important part of this. Uh, I just didn't feel like he came off with, he was given a lot of opportunity and I can't say that, uh, he capitalized. I feel like other people had less to do with or had less opportunity and exceeded him in this. So, um, I, you know, it's uh, not a hundred percent. I don't think he would have gotten this role at this time, but I would propose to put uh, Chris Evans in his place. Yeah, I could see it. Um, Maybe Chris Evans today, uh, as opposed to what Chris Evans looked like back then, uh, just in terms of he's much more, we see him now as the soldier because of, you know, Captain America and, and that sort of thing. Um, well, he would have I, been. Uh, he he would have been around the time to be. I mean, uh, you know, he he's not that much younger than Hartnett. I don't think is he. So Chris Evans is only three years younger than Josh Hartnett, and he's coming off of not another teen movie. So I stand by my choice on this one. Yeah, but I remember him in in earlier movies. He was just a lot smaller in stature, a lot thinner. Um, like I said earlier in the, uh, in the podcast, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Hartnett fan and I, I, I do feel like that statement is, uh, it puts me on an Island. It may not be the smallest Island, but you know, it definitely puts me on an Island. Um, I like seeing guys like Hartnett who I think get unfairly relegated to the romantic comedy or drama roles that they played in first um there's another really awesome actor who has broken through the walls that were uh kind of put there for him and now he's in quite a few good action movies is uh john krasinski so you know known for the office known for being kind of goofy and funny 13 hours was fantastic if you haven't checked out jack ryan on amazon prime fantastic uh, based on the Tom Clancy character. But, uh, you know, there are people that kind of get lopped into certain roles and then they kind of live there their whole life. So I like seeing guys like this uh, branching out and taking these other ones. Hmm. Well, uh, you're right. I shouldn't take away great performances like Hollywood homicide away from him. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um, Uh, That's, that's a hard one to defend. I get it. But but, I mean, you, you also got got to give a shout out to like Lucky Number Slevin, which was I do like that movie, a fantastic movie. That's probably my favorite Hardnet movie. Um, so uh, best shot, and uh, to be more specific, this is your best cinematic moment in the movie. Best cinematic moment in the movie. Um, I've got a couple, so let me go with. Uh, one of my favorites is at the very beginning where they, they pick up Eric Bana's character. He's carrying his bicycle. He had just done some recon in Mogadishu and they're flying back and you see the, uh, the wild boars charging through the water and he looks over and says, who's hungry. And they, you know, shoot one and bring it back for dinner. Um, 
I feel like that really illustrated that it is a beautiful country. And, you know, if you take the conflict and the horror out of it, that, you know, there are, there are wonderful places around the world that uh, we, we hope will be wonderful places again after these awful things go away. Yeah, uh, the it's other take one, some work, though. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, as far as cinematography goes, uh, one of my favorite parts is where uh, Josh Hartnett has to throw a strobe light on top of the adjacent building so the helicopters could provide them with air support. And there's a shot of him running across and the bullets are hitting at his feet. And it's kind of this slow motion thing where he gets there and kind of, like you said, you know, just gets the job done and comes back. And uh, I, I always kind of uh, kind of like that scene. Um, the third one, not to take up too much time on it or, or gobble up all the, Man, the he's good really stuff. Going, yeah, this is like a buffet of best shots. Go, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Another one I really liked just for the gravity of it was after the first helicopter goes down, there is a crew chief on it. I think it was the crew chief who climbs out. He obviously has a head wound. He's got blood coming out of his helmet in every direction. And he's defending the crash site uh, horribly outnumbered and injured. And it, there's probably about a minute of the movie that keeps flashing back to him doing it until he gets some backup. And I always thought that that was the, you know, that was one of the bread and butter scenes that really conveyed what I think the number one message of the movie was. And that was, you know, brotherhood. Absolutely. Yeah. Some great choices there. And um, so I'm going to go with the simple when the helicopters are together in formation or flying along the coast. Kind of what Brian was saying, getting a feel for the uh, the land from over overhead. I wish there had been more, excuse me, more overhead shots, um, especially during the conflict, just to help orient you. Uh, but uh, I really like that. The music's inspiring and it kind of has the... Uh, you know, it's uh, it's the men going out on a mission moment, and I like that. So, best scene. Um, I kind of uh, I I think I probably used a couple of mine there for for moments, but um, I would say that one of my favorite scenes was the uh, the Tom Sizemore. Uh, kind of laying it down for his soldier when he's like, but sir, I'm shot. And he's like, we're all shot. Get in the truck and put on the gas. Like I just, that was, that was just one of those, you know, we're still in this, you know, we're not dead yet. Let's go. Um, for my best scene, uh, the, uh, there's a moment where there's so many hurt men that load up the uh, rescue uh, vehicles that the healthy men have to run back to the base behind the vehicles. And it's a pretty perilous uh, course that they have to run. And uh, the real soldiers call it the Mogadishu Mile. And um, so I, I just, I think the music was good. They use slow-mo. Um, it shows you how tired these men are after this long conflict. And this is the last stretch to get back to the base. And it is in no way a cakewalk. So that was my choice for best scene. Yeah, it's a fantastic choice, too. Um, best quote? Uh, I've said it twice now. I'm going with Tom Sizemore. Okay. Yeah. Uh, good choice. Um, I like. I did like the quote at the beginning saying, only the dead have seen the end of war by Plato. That, that would be my, uh, my favorite quote. But there, I'm going to give a small nod to uh, uh, Ethan Bremer's character that uh, – 
uh, Ewan Bramer's character, why do I have to stay here? And uh, Hartnett goes, because you're dependable. And he goes, man, I hate being dependable. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, if you're the director, you're Ridley Scott. Um, so after you finish telling yourself you're awesome, what one thing do you change in this movie? Uh, one thing I change in the movie. Um, I actually, yeah, I, I had mentioned this once to you and to, uh, I think much chagrin movie could have actually been a little longer. I would have, uh, I would have been down for more character development at the, in the beginning, uh, more camaraderie sequences, uh, and, uh, maybe some more explanation to really show how long these guys were at the ragged edge. Um, yeah, I'm not on board with that, but, um, <laughs> that's a good, <laughs> Hey, that's why we have everybody on here for different, uh, it's a long movie. It is a long movie. Um, for me, I would just like to jump around less. I Again, having aerial shots, transitions that go from like, I want to see Hartnett and these guys waiting to see like, hey, they're supposed to come out for us. And I would like to see the camera move up out of the streets, pan over the buildings and move over to another site where the helicopter goes down. Again, I've mentioned it probably too many times already, but uh, there are ways to help bring relationship of distance numbers of people and the numbers of people coming after them. So getting a more solid understanding for what the situation really is, um, that would be helpful personally. And it could be as simple as uh, having um, Sam Shepard's character at base looking at maps a little more often than they do in there and having a few more check-ins. So, Sure, um, sure. Uh, anyway, Brian, before we go into the ratings, do we want to plug anything? Uh, yeah, I'd like to give a shout out to a couple of uh, further watching. So if you like this, you may also like these. Um, like I said, I'm a big fan of uh, of these kind of war movies. So if you like this movie, you should definitely check out uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Jarhead. Um, check out We Were Soldiers. A lot of great actors in that one. Well, it's time to rate the movie on a five-star scale. What would you rate this movie? Um, going five. Going five. Going All five. five. Okay. Um, so I actually talked to John ahead of time. Uh, even though he couldn't make it, he said to put in the rating for 4.5 for him. Uh, he definitely echoes a lot of the sentiments that uh, Brian has as well along the way. And... Uh, Definitely one that he likes to return to as well. Um, for me, I have a greater appreciation for this movie in that I studied it in uh, preparation for this, but it's a hard watch for me. It's it's not really enjoyable. It's It does not glorify war, and that's important, and it tells an important story that could easily be forgotten. And so while it's an important movie, and it's a well-made movie from the standpoint of... Um, you know, the visuals and showing what it's really like to be in that. And I have to go with a 2.5. And uh, that's just, Ouch. I know. And <laughs> I figured you were going to skewer me a little bit on that. And I probably deserve it. But it's just a hard watch. And it's very long to sit through. There's a certain point at which point I just go, man, I just feel like, you know, I, I'm, you know, I don't want to be here anymore. 
and uh and to some degree i think that's what he wants you to feel so um i'm sometimes guilty of liking the movies that you have fun with or that you get to escape on uh this is very gritty very real so i apologize i i, I apologize no i i definitely think that that at some point in time you like i've i have to take myself out of the the mindset that all this stuff really happened uh, to a certain degree to have the enjoyment factor that I do for this movie, uh, the rewatchability. Um, but it's important to do that sometimes with movies because in the end, you know, the, the, what this movie conveyed to me was, you know, that brotherhood, that camaraderie and the pride that we have people willing to do that. And uh, I think as long as the, the overriding message and, and the fact that, you know, you're, you're remembering an important piece of history, so you're not uh, hopefully doomed to repeat it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Brian, you're going to have to stand in John's place here and uh, make a great choice for him. Uh, it's up. It will be up to you. Uh, next time, we're going to have some suspense movies, and we're going to do... Uh, I've got three options for you. Ready? Go for it. Rear Window, 1954. It's an Alfred Hitchcock film uh, where a wheelchair-bound photographer spies on his neighbors from his apartment window and becomes convinced that one of them has committed a murder, starring James Stewart and Grace Kelly. Option two, Blue Velvet from 1986. The discovery of a severed human ear found in a field leads a young man on an investigation related to a beautiful, mysterious nightclub singer and a group of uh, psychopathic criminals who have kidnapped her child. Uh, director David Lynch leads you on an adventure here. Uh, Kyle McLaughlin, Isabella Rosalini, and Dennis Hopper are in this one. And option three, whatever happened to Baby Jane from 1962? A former child star torments her paraplegic sister into uh, in their uh, decaying Hollywood mansion. Well, you just picked all the happy ones, didn't you? Well... It's suspenseful. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Uh, let's see here. If I am going to pick on this one, I am going to go with my uh, one of my favorite directors with David Lynch's Blue Velvet. Uh, not my favorite movie of his. That goes to Lost Highway, also one of the best soundtracks ever. But uh, yeah, yeah, you guys should definitely talk about David Lynch's Blue Velvet. Absolutely. Well... Brian, thank you so much for doing double duty for us. It was a great show anyway. Um, I'm really sad John couldn't make it with us, but uh, I had a lot of fun doing it with you. Uh, so we'll definitely have oh, you Russ, back Oh, Russ, always sometime. a pleasure, man. Yeah. Yeah, terrific. So to all the listeners out there, please rate, review, and subscribe the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast, and it helps grow the show. We really appreciate you doing that for us. And uh, like, give us a like on Facebook and write to us at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Brian? Well, like Steven says at the, uh, at the battle in Braveheart, the Almighty tells me he can get me out of this mess, but he's pretty sure you're effed.